Jolie, your branding badass. Welcome to my new podcast, Branding Matters. Today I have two special guests, Bonnie Rothman, who's the president and founder of Company B, a successful New York communications firm that helps brands connect with their customers through compelling storytelling. And joining Bonnie is her partner, Judy Calvin. Judy has over two decades of experience in public relations, specializing in creative services agencies and marketing tech companies. Judy's top-tier clients have often been mentioned in such world-renowned publications as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and Forbes. Judy often speaks on public relations topics at creative services conferences around the world. And in 2002, she won the New York City Council's Annual Woman of Achievement Paysetter Awards. I mean, talk about two incredible women. I invited Bonnie and Judy to be on my show today to discuss why branding matters to them and to learn about founder stories and why they are so important in connecting brands with their audience. I also wanted to discuss why now, more than ever before, companies need to take responsibility and action on issues they believe in to create real change. Ladies, welcome to Branding Matters. Thanks for having us. Thrilled to be here. Oh, it's so nice having you. I really am excited. We're going to talk about founder stories today because I think that is so important. And I thought, well, what better way to kick off the show than to you to share your founder story with us? So maybe, Bonnie, you can start. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to doing what you're doing and how you and Judy got together. Well, I think we should start in the middle. Um, okay. And, uh, <laughs> Judy and I, Judy and I, good were place. So- <laughs> Judy and I were solopreneurs. And like we were solopreneurs, and like many women entrepreneurs, we were looking for colleagues and people to bounce ideas off of. And Judy had founded a networking group and in, in our community, and we discovered one another. Work together and do more of these? Yeah. Yes, exactly. We decided, we said, well, you know what? We're a good team. We felt that we were able together to offer something really unique and special to our, our clients mm-hmm. and give them really two senior level people who could service their business and really are just hell-bent on getting success for them and making sure that everything we did for them was really true to their brand and was Mm going to be able to, again, have ROI for them. That's wonderful. So do you mind how many years ago was that? When when did that happen? About About 10 years ago? About 10, probably about 10 years ago. So you've been together 10 years. That's (laughs) great. And so far, so good. And you've knocked out a lot of amazing (laughs) things since then. So Wonderful. Yeah. So fast forward. So you have this company now and it's grown. And as I mentioned to you, Bonnie, when you and I talked originally, I went on your website and was stalking you and I saw you have a great <laughs> website. And so you're all women in your company. Is that correct? We currently now have uh, all women as team members. We, it hasn't always been that way. We have had some <laughs> men through our doors and go go on to other things. But right now we're all these hardworking women and we look for the best people to do the best work. And we're, I'm super proud of the team that we have in place right now. Mm-hmm, that's wonderful. Congratulations. So let's get right into talking about branding. So what in your mind do you think it takes for a brand to connect with their audience? Do you want to go first, Judy? Yeah, I will go first. I think whether we're talking about a consumer brand or if we're talking about a business to business brand, it really is focusing on 
your audience's needs? What is it that your business or brand provides? And how do you show that you understand who your target audience is and what their needs are? In business, we have to align with brands that match our beliefs, right? A a buyer aligns with a brand that matches their beliefs. So the best way is to really have a critical understanding of your audience and what your audience needs from you. It's not about you, but what your audience needs you to give them. And having shared values, right? Like you have to obviously have the same mindset. People like to work with people who feel the same way. What do you think, Bonnie? I really believe that when we choose to do business, whether it's the store down the street or the media database platform that we need in our business, it makes a statement about who we are and how we think and what we believe in. So I think that we make these choices based on feelings about ourselves and how brands reflect back on how how the brands reflect back on us. So we're looking for those shared values. I think that's why brands that are putting sustainability or diversity inclusion and really standing behind those things, really taking action on those points of view are going to do very well in 2021 because people are really looking to make those human connections with whom they do business. Yeah, definitely. So Do you think as far as what's going on now in the world, finding those like-minded people who you share the same values with, with everybody being online, do you find it, it would be easier for brands to find the people who have the same values or more difficult? No, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a matter of clarity and storytelling and also clarity and action. So I think it's, easier now for brands to get their stories out there. Mm-hmm. How well they're telling their stories is, right. is completely, you know, another factor. As I said, and as we know, the proof is in the pudding. I think that more and more as we make choices, you know, in business and for on a personal level, we're going to be looking to make sure that the choices that we make are okay. For example, stopped buying one bean brand because of the political views of, of the CEO of that particular company this year. You know, they didn't align with my own values. And even though the price was right, I'm, <laughs> I'm not buying those beans anymore. I'm going to I'm gonna buy the more expensive beans or the beans at the next grocery store. Right. I really do think that most people who have the luxury of thinking along those lines are, are doing are doing so today. Mm-hmm. And you brought up a good thing about pricing, because at the end of the day, pricing might be a little bit higher, but if the values don't align, then you're going to go with the one that does align with you. So that's a great example of a strong brand. You don't have to sell yourself on price, right? I mean, that's the back of it. So you've mentioned stories. Can you elaborate now on stories and what makes a good story? And how do you create that story to tell your audience? Well, Judy and I spent a lot of time thinking about what makes a good story. The most important thing is that there is a conflict that needs to be solved somehow. The conflict could be, and I've written about this a lot, and so it's Judy, that could, there could be an enemy, there could be an obstacle, there could be a puzzle, there could be a trap. But every good story has at its center some problem that needs solving. It could be a little problem. It doesn't have to be something major. Every story needs a protagonist, sort of the gestalt of storytelling, a guide who's someone who's going to help solve the problem. And generally, that's the brand's role in, in brand storytelling, right? The person with the problem or the organization with the problem is the customer. The guide is the brand. And they're solving, you know, they're overcoming an enemy, an obstacle, a puzzle, or a trap. 
if you're a gamer, you know someone who's a gamer. They're they're pretty familiar with those. My with those four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your four. Yeah, he's he's thinking a lot about about those things and oh. how to overcome them in a game. Right. Yeah. Like, that's why games are so compelling. I mean, you're you're constantly figuring out how to solve problems. And so, was that what the brand does then? Is to solve the problem that the consumer is having ultimately, right? Isn't that their goal? Right. It could be. It could be for a consumer, or again, could be for a business. Uh, you know, solving a from a business to business perspective right. as well, because you get a lot of loyalty when you have somebody who solves your problem, right? I mean, if you have you have your electrician come in and he you know fixes a problem, you know, you love that electrician and you're going to use them again. Similarly with brands, they solve your problem, you will be loyal to that brand because you won't you might not trust the other brand is going to do as Bonnie said could be even beans. They may not taste the same, you know, uh-huh. your recipe may not come out the same. So people are creatures of habit. And if, if something solves their problem, they will go back to it over and over again. Right. And, you know, you you talked about loyalty. Loyalty is so important. I think now more than ever, opposed to someone who is constantly going to the next best thing and, the, you know, the shiny penny over here. And so to create that loyalty amongst your customers, you have to have that trust factor, as you mentioned, and the values, you have to have the same shared values. Mm-hmm. What do you ladies think is a way to create that brand loyalty so customers don't leave and go to the next shiny penny or the next customer? What do you think it takes to have that? Well, we're obviously believe- big believers in in the power of public relations to get that good story out there. Right. You know, we believe that people need validators. Word of mouth and third party are incredibly powerful ways to build brand loyalty. If you see a story about a brand you're interested in doing business with, that is a powerful validator. Uh, if it's a positive story, of course, and that's with a, <laughs> um, that's a powerful validator for the brand's promise. And if the publicity is crafted in a smart and authentic way, that it's even more helpful, you know, an ad. Social media is also from influencers can also be in- incredibly persuasive if the influencer is aligned to the brand in an authentic way. I'll give you an example. It's, it's my new favorite. I read about it today. Pepsi today, or this, I think within the past week, launched something called the Pepsi Bodega Give Back Holiday Campaign. Pepsi is basically gifting, giving money to bodega owners throughout New York City to thank them for their service during COVID. So what they did was they recruited influencers, the Bodega, the Bodega Boys. They have a podcast and a show on um, okay. Showtime. And they're uh, these comedians from the Bronx. And they're going around to Bodega. Do you know what a Bodega is? A Bodega is a little corner store that they're dotted all over New York City. And they sell everything from Christmas trees to brand muffins, to bleach, to, you know, wow. to salad okay. bars, to salad everything. bars. Okay. So right. everything. And they're, they're located in many, many underserved neighborhoods. In some neighborhoods, they're the only grocery store for blocks around. They, they really service the neighborhood. So they're knitted into the New York City community. And what Pepsi did was they sent out the Bodega Boys to give cash to bodega owners throughout the city 
as thanks for their service during COVID-19. Wow. Um, It's an unbelievable campaign. It's an example of sort of really authentic branding. Pepsi is actually based in New York, just north of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. The Bodega Boys are influencers, obviously, and they speak to their target audience or these funny guys from the Bronx who hung out at a bodega. And I just think it's a brilliant campaign where you can become a believer in the Pepsi brand for doing good with smart influencers. There's been a lot of good press about the campaign. And if you watch the video, which I shared on you know, on my Twitter feed today, I was crying oh, when, really? I watched the, when I watched the video of uh, an immigrant who came to New York, dreamed of owning a bodega, scraped $100,000 together, opened it up. He's had this bodega for 30 years in his neighborhood and Pepsi gave him a year's worth of rent. That's amazing. He started crying and, and the guy's father had died from COVID. So the whole, I was, I was sobbing. Oh, oh my God. So they're putting their money where their mouth is, right? They're not just saying they want it. We're all in this together. You hear all the time, but they're actually doing stuff about it, which people are not dumb. We see that. And that's where, you know, you get that loyalty. Exactly. And you you could, you could bet that people are going to want to buy Pepsi and the bodega owners are going to stock Pepsi. Hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's brilliant Mm -hmm. all around. So talking about stories, we all love stories. So when you talk about a brand sharing their story with people, how do they do it in a way that comes across as being real and authentic and not being bragging and sounding inauthentic? You know, how do they take it from we're so great and look at us and we're number one to connecting with people? Because I think that in itself would be a challenge. Does Bonnie want to answer that? (laughs) Sorry, I have to get (laughs) I think the key is the last word you said. It's about being human. And in order to be authentic, people buy from people, right? You have to have a human side in order to sound authentic and also to not appear to be bragging. We, we always say, we, we look at, for example, like B2B marketers have traditionally sort of shied away from that. They like to talk about their products and their services, et cetera. And that just falls flat. That doesn't connect with anybody. So that they need to do is show their the human people side of their stories, especially in their public relations plays, like for example, what Pepsi did. That that's going to be authentic because they because they connected with people and that's what human beings want to hear. So we're always urging our clients to sort of reframe their stories around you know, people, and especially now in times of COVID, it's especially important. And then the other side of it is listening to what your customers, you know, are going through and what they need. So you need to think about what's your target audience grappling with right now? What's our take on the problem? And what story can we share that your audience is going to care about? And that's, that's where we find that you can really tap into authenticity that way. Mm-hmm. We have have a client, um, an HR association for people who specialize in compensation and benefits. Um, so they're the numbers crunchers. They are they're so proud to call themselves the nerds of the HR world, um, and they really think about policies and making sure that everyone gets their health insurance and their financial financial planning in place, their four hundred one k's, etc. This is their job. Mm-hmm. But when COVID hit we had to think carefully about the stories we were telling about the association, which was largely surveys about changes in policies and things like that, which typically in in any other year would have generated a lot of news for this particular organization. But 
people really struggling during COVID, including members of the association. And so what we did was we worked with the CEO to craft 14 bylines, so 14 stories that he wrote, that all of which spoke to the emotional concerns that leaders were experiencing during COVID. Every single one addressed a different facet of, of the, the tough decisions and the, mm-hmm. and the emotions that leaders were going to have to make. And um, it, it was a really powerful campaign for the association and really explained what the organization stands for, tying back to their values, which is that we're, you know, an organization, even though we worry about fair pay equity, it's really, at the end of the day, it's really all about people. Well, that brings me back to when you talk about brands and businesses sharing their story, how did they link that back to their purpose? So every single story had a theme, which was basically the overarching theme was world at work cares about the people in the company. We we are concerned about humans working. All 14 stories talked about some human problem. Like one of the first stories out of the gate was, don't look now, your, your human side is showing, encouraging leaders to be more empathetic, explaining how empathy is going to play well in the, C, in the C-suite now in times of COVID. And there were many, many more examples of that. So, you know, the overarching strategy was, you know, work is about the people. And then each of the 14 stories sort of laddered up to that. Which linked it back to their purpose and what they're all about. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, you hear those stories and it's so inspiring. Do you think that there's a lot of companies or brands out there that are not walking the walk, but they're talking the talk? So they say that they're care and they say that they're helping and and their stories are telling that, but they're not doing anything to actually prove that. Whereas in this case, it sounds like he was. I think that that's probably true. And it's a challenge that many companies are facing now. Um, There was a story in the Wall Street Journal just last week that talked about what was happening in the workplace. And Weber Shanwick conducted this big study about attitudes about the workplace. And it said, and this is just sort of diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. said that uh, half of the people who were surveyed said their company says all the right thing about diversity. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. But they they don't do what they say. That That's only just one stat that I have at the top of my head. But that's um, sort of the consensus that you're hearing a lot of people say that, you know, now that it's almost um, in fashion to care and to be empathetic. So, you know, these a lot of these brands are putting that face on and saying they care, but are they actually putting their money where their mouth is? And, and then there's other brands that are and they're stepping up and they're doing that. We caution, especially <clears throat> obviously the clients that we work we work with, that those brands that are talking but not walking the, the walk, yeah. it's going to come back to bite mm-hmm. them very badly. And so it really is in their best interest to to dig deep and think about that and make sure that they are and that they're communicating it, whether it's through to their their own people who are their biggest obviously mm-hmm. audience, you know, not just to the the folks who they're selling their products to, but to their own people that are working there and, and really are seeing things, you know, day to day. Those those folks, and I think we'll probably talk about this more later, those are your best ambassadors or the people that you have there working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's so we've talked about brand stories. Let's move on to founder stories, because that was where I sort of heard you speaking. And I find that such an interesting topic. Can you elaborate a bit on founder stories and why they are so important, especially now more than ever? 
Uh, yeah, I mean that we we were talking about this before. That's a that's a really 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 good question. I mean, we are very very big on founder stories because it really can provide that emotional buy-in and give your stakeholders a, a reason to care. It makes the problem that you're solving very relatable. You mentioned that you had your own favorite founder, was, um, the, uh, the Colonel Sanders guy, right? And so there's a reason for that because you can really use those stories. You saw how they used this, that story throughout their marketing and their PR. And the challenge that companies have is that you don't frame the story around the company founding itself, but you really need to fashion it sort of as an aha moment at the start of solving a problem. So, and, and Bonnie, maybe you could talk a little further, I think about sort of when you don't have the actual founder, but well, how you look at that, at that story. Yeah. So, so, I mean, of course we all love founder stories. I mean, they become legends. we love the story of Steve Jobs in, in his garage and, you know, Walt Disney and, you know, my favorite, which you probably heard Julie on that other podcast with Sarah Blakely of Spanx, who cut the feet off her pantyhose so that she could wear sandals with a pair of pants and still look sleek and smooth. An entire category was born and she was one of the first uh, self-made billionaires, I think in the U S it was an incredible story. Um, billionaires. Billionaires. (laughs) Worth repeating. I know. And she, I mean, she's a master (laughs) storyteller. I think that if you're going to study founder stories, just look at Sarah, Sarah Blakesley's Twitter feed and her um, LinkedIn page and just scan it. And you'll, you'll get the idea pretty quickly about how brilliant she is at it. But if you do not have a founder, say you've, you know, you're the new, you're the CEO of a new company, there are ways to sort of talk about that aha moment. You might go back, for example, and talk about your first customers, those early adopters and pioneers. An example that I have is kind of famous is that Pampers first came to market, I think, in the early uh, 70s. Um, They were the first disposable diapers to sort of tell the story of, uh, it's sort of incredible now to think that disposable diapers were were new. But to tell the story now, Pampers um, went and found the first people who used them and then did a whole campaign around the first users in Peoria, Illinois, the, the original test market of Pampers diapers. It's, it's, it's hysterical um, when you think. I wonder how that would fly today with all the environmentalists and everyone, right? They'd be like, so what do I we know. do with them? It's funny how But sorry, <laughs> continue with your. But I think that, you know, our early, our early adopters are probably a, a good way to, to sort of ex- talk about solving the problem because the company was founded on this, as Judy said, you know, this idea, this problem that they're solving. So to find some early users who were enthusiastic about your promise is a really good way to sort of land your founder story. You can create a fun timeline. You can create all sorts of fun content off of that, you know, using the real the people who first interacted with your product. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is there's almost like there's different stories. Or So for example, Judy, we you, you mentioned about Colonel Sanders, which I love the Colonel Sanders story. And because here's someone who failed over and over and over and over again, like every job he got, he failed. And he was everything. I don't know if you know, he was a lawyer. He was a, he was a midwife. He was a railroad conductor. I mean, he did everything. He, you know, his, his background right. was tough. His dad died when he was younger. And that's how he learned to cook because he was five years old cooking but anyway so he constantly failed and then he found his success when he was in his mid-40s right and then the rest is history so for someone like myself who is 
had many challenges and divorce and kids and restart started over and over and over again. When I read a story like that, it gives me inspiration because I think, wow, if someone like that can do it at later in life, then here I am 53, 54 now, you know, and I can start over and I've had challenges. And so that motivates me and that inspires me. And then with the mm -hmm. Sarah Blakely story, there's the problem that is being solved, right? I think for his story, he was he was really like looking for something that he could feed his family and just survive. And for her, it was sort of this, I'm so sick of, I remember she used to say she was so sick of seeing her toes through her, her tights, right? Her nylons when she wore sandals. So that's when she started cutting it. And so she solved the problem. And so those are two different, I think, motivators. So what do you think it is about these stories that inspires people and why people are interested in stories? anybody who has a vision, people are really drawn to that and doesn't have to be somebody who's, you know, in his dorm room at Harvard and discovers Facebook, you know. Um, but as you said, somebody in their 40s who's failed three or four times, who has a vision and who, who finally, you know, brings that to fruition. And it's very inspiring. And that's why founder stories just really resonate with people. And I've had cases where, you know, I've worked with a founder who was tragically killed. And the fear was, you know, what are we going to do now that our founder is no longer here? Mm -hmm. But her vision was baked into everything that that company did. And they've been able to carry on and be incredibly successful but they never forgot what their history was and where they were grounded in her vision. And so there's, that's where the legend part comes in, that you can carry that through and, and have that in the DNA of your brand. And that's what inspires people. Yeah. So, what were you going to say, yeah. Bonnie? Sorry, I felt like you were going to add to that. No, I, I oh. was, Judy and I were on the same track. We've worked together for so long, we think, we think oh. alike. Okay. Well, <laughs> so scary I, as that sounds. <laughs> so, Judy, I mean, sorry, Bonnie shared about her founder story. Is there a founder story that you can think of that is inspirational to you, that inspires you? I love founder stories. I mean, I've got yeah. a lot. There's actually a, a craft brewery in Bend, uh, Oregon. And um, its name is called Deschutes. And the founder is this very colorful guy named Gary Fish. And he was one of the pioneers in the craft brewery business. And he was one of the first ones to start uh, about 30 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, since then, of course, there's been like thousands of new craft beers. And so they, they decided a couple of years ago that they had to like completely like relook at their brand. And what they did was they brought back the founder's story, this guy, Gary Fish, who was this pioneer, and he, he really created this whole new way of, of, of making beer. And, you know, he hadn't changed. He was no longer like in the day-to-day -day operations of the company, but I loved his story and how we were able to weave it into the whole rebranding of the, the beer and helped it to regain its prominence in the, uh, you know, in the industry. In the marketplace. I have a friend of mine actually who is uh, has a craft brewery, like so many people, and I love it. He uses the term social lubrication. And that's what he uses to bring people together, you know. So I love these craft breweries and their founder stories. That's a great story. We talk about founder stories. Do you find that um, some of these founders, it's a challenge for them to be vulnerable? I mean, I think it's hard for people to be vulnerable anyway. But how do you convince them or bring that vulnerability out to execute it into the story? If you can find their passion and their purpose and really share 
what they're trying to change, I think that that's compelling and authentic. A lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of bravado and they are hesitant to show their vulnerability. It might not serve them, but sharing what they're aiming for, I think is authentic. And I think that people who start businesses start because there's they see a hole in the market. I mean, I started my business because I wanted to bring more robust storytelling to the communications and, and less commercial, more authentic, sort of longer format. I saw that as a market. So th- that's my passion and my purpose. I, I think that uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, whether you're launching an AI company to help salespeople do their jobs faster and more easily, you know, you've been there in the trenches with them. And that's sort of, that's the story that you can tell. You can say, oh my God, I've spent all my time sort of like mining through databases. Now I can just be creative and entertain and, Mm -hmm. and really talk on my service more easily. So I think that vulnerability is one piece of it, but passion and purpose is just as powerful, if not more so. Okay, that's interesting. Let me ask you a question here. This is this is getting my wheels turning here. Um, what about failures? Because people, you talk about entrepreneurs, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this. You know, right with COVID, I, there's been more unemployment than ever before, and so as a result, people have been forced to become entrepreneurs. Right, so they're listening to these leaders and these founder stories. But I mean, do you think failure is a part of success? And do you think by being vulnerable and sharing about your failures, it helps you or hinders your connecting with your audience? You know, it, it just reminded me of what you said, because like Bonnie said, she, you know, she started her company for a purpose. I never thought I would be, you know, an entrepreneur. That was never what I wanted to be. I always wanted to work for a company. And I thought that I would. Mm-hmm. And when I got laid off during the whole dot-com bust and, you know, it was just, was a really also a very bad time, mm-hmm. si- similar to what it's been this past year with the pandemic. I just decided, you know, I was going to give it a shot and let's see what happened. And I never thought that it was going to work. I never thought that that it was something I was but going who to knew continue to tried, do. Right? Yeah. Right. But, but I think to your point, everybody fails at some point or another. So we learn from our failures and we figure out what we didn't, you know, what didn't work and why it didn't work. And you think about it and how you don't want to do that again. You don't want to repeat it again and you use it to be successful. So I think that number one, people that makes you human because you know, that, that is part of your human story is that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you failed that this particular first time we tried something, it didn't work and, but it worked the second time. And I think that it then forces you to find what you really are good at and what, and, and what you really can be successful at doing. So uh, I think a fail failures should be baked into somebody's story for sure. Bonnie, do you want to add to that? I totally agree. I think fail, failure is a part of winning. Right. And so that's why I guess I was getting at is being vulnerable and be able to tell people because I think the bravado and the, you know, the appearance of the successful business millionaire, you know, we don't, the story of how they got there and all the times they failed. We have this event in Calgary. I'll just share this with you. And it's okay if I say this because this is my podcast. Anyway, it's called Fuck Ups Calgary. Fuck Up Nights. 
and they bring on top top leaders to come on and share how many how they fucked up to get to where they are part of my french but it's so fantastic and they get they get leaders like top top leaders but people want to hear that right they want to hear about those stories and so they talk about how they tried and they failed and they did this and did this and eventually you know it wasn't a straight line as you see them climbing to the top it's up and down it's like a roller coaster so being vulnerable i guess is being able to share those um failures to i think connect with people let's talk about employees you talked about that a bit earlier judy because really a brand is only as strong as their culture internally and so to have a strong culture it's important to have strong brand ambassadors and that starts within the culture an example that i shared with you uh with bonnie and i guess with yourself is westjet westjet is an airline in canada they are giving air canada a run for their money they've done really well they're not that old they might be i don't even know if they're 20 years old but they do these incredible videos every year and they were doing them way before COVID even started i think they've been doing them at least five years if not more and they always do these great christmas miracles where they bring gifts to people all across Canada and they the people in the videos are the employees and the you can see the pride yep. when the employees talk about what they're doing and so having that sense of pride within an organization you become this brand ambassador that then you go out and share about this company that you work for and that pride so what's your take on how important employees are to being brand ambassadors and how much should that be woven into the brand purpose and the stories Judy, do you want to? Yeah, I will start that. And that's a great example. I love WestJet. I even remember from several years ago watching, I love those videos of like, you know, where they show these gifts coming off the, you know, the, from the airplanes and, you know, and these people's faces and. And they're not a sponsor, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We're not getting any kickback for sharing WestJet. (laughs) Right. No, but see, you know, even here, even here in the U.S., we know WestJet because because of that. Mm -hmm. So look at how powerful that is. I mean, I will challenge you that any advertisement you see out there that, that includes employees is extremely effective and really feels real that, you know, that you are really getting at the heart. And, and when you have employees speaking for you, it's, it really goes a long way. And it's really a way to build, build a culture. And as we said, they, they really are your most powerful influencers and your greatest assets. So if you can figure out a way to use them in your marketing and your PR efforts, we're we're very much all for that. The people who understand, they understand your brand purpose, they understand your values, they understand your promise, and you they have to be the strongest believers in order to tell your story. That's why they're so powerful. Um, so if you're going to build a strong culture um, with clear messaging, you need to also then make sure that everyone sort of understands what that is. And that way you get everybody, as we say, sort of paddling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And then from the PR perspective, what we always tell people is then you make sure, let's say you're going to utilize them in your marketing and PR efforts. You have to make sure that you've prepared them in a way you prepare them so well that they are authentic and they do understand and know sort of the start line and what the finish line is, but you can't just throw them out there. I mean, Bonnie, you had that great story about the Coke Pepsi story that I think you should share of exactly how not to prepare somebody to to, to tell your story. Go ahead. So um, yeah, so so it's a great story. Coke introduced new Coke, 
And um, at our New York Times, it, it was a sort of a colossal failure. It lasted about a, a, a whole hot minute. But the New York Times <laughs> sent a reporter out to the halls of Pepsi to find out what, what Pepsi was thinking about it. The head of PR for Pepsi at the time told a guy who was in the marketing department to talk to the reporter. And the head of PR left and the reporter came in and asked how this Pepsi employee felt about the new Coke. He said, I hear it tastes a lot like Pepsi. I think I'm going to have to try it. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Is he still there? <laughs> I wonder, right? Right. That's a, um, yes. that's well, an oops he, moment. He, he did. He did. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did keep his job. But, and, and, but, uh, you know, and he's quoted in the New York Times. It is, it's just hysterical. It's, it's, it's exactly what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a classic story. If you're going to use your, like, like word to the wise, if you're going to use your employees in your, in your brand stories and in your marketing, and if you, particularly if you're going to put them in front of members of the media, it's really, really important to make sure that they're prepared. And the best way to do that is to, brief them give them give them a script <laughs> yeah give them a little message yeah. not to mention the competition <laughs> um, and um and to make them feel comfortable you know and, and not too <laughs> not too comfortable nope. to just say what exactly right. what was on their mind that sounds so, like a classic right. you know, uh, sorry go ahead no, I was going to say, you just don't want to just throw them to the wolves. That doesn't help anybody. So that's a, really. that's an interesting marketing story. So just to talk about this a little bit more. So with employees and, and culture, and I think now more than ever, because of what's going on in the world, it's so important for employers to really take care of their employees, right? We're all living, we're all working remotely now and um, we're feeling really isolated. And so I think employers have a more responsibility to stay connected with their employees and really show them that they are valued and they, you know, appreciate them. And that when you talk about, we'll get through this together is really being there for them. So with social media and everybody online and all these employees online where they don't have a script and they don't have their employees, I mean, they're going to go on and they're going to talk, people go on, they talk about everything, right? They go on Twitter and if they're not happy about something, they're going to tweet something. So, with the way things are right now, how do you think employers, and I'm just throwing this at you because I my wheels turn while you're talking, how do you think employers can make sure that their brand's promise is intact and do it in a way that is authentic with their employees being dispersed where they don't have that, they can't, I don't want to say control them, but they can't influence them what they're going to say, because I think that would be a different challenge in today's world. Do you, Bonnie, want to answer that as far as what extra measures, I guess, in this remote environment, brands and specifically senior level management would have to do? Right. Well, I think that as Judy was talking and you were saying, Jolie, that it's really important that culture is fully baked throughout the Mm -hmm. organization. And now more than ever, it's really important to have touch points where employees can connect to hear from leaders, to connect with one another, and to and communication is more important than ever. Come internal communication is critical if uh, in a, in a dispersed culture to make sure that everyone feels like they're part of the same organization, that they have that their work is valued, that they're treated fairly, and that they're pushing for whatever good means for that company. 
communication, clear communication, overarching internal communications plan that's well, that's robust, that's repetitive, that's clear, that's resilient is, I think it's critical in ensuring that no one goes rogue on social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And having that sense of pride, where as an employee, when you feel that from the powers that be, you if you do share anything, it's it's genuine and talk about authentic because you're speaking from the heart. For example, I do a lot of um, gifts for my customers right now. We do employee gifts where they're sending them out remotely to all their customers. And then you have these customers going on social media with the gift from their employees going, oh my God, I love working here. Look at these beautiful gifts that my, my employer just gave me, right? That's a real, natural, authentic social media blurb that you know is going to i think connect people with that brand on that level with the employee being the ambassador does that resonate right totally yeah 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 Yeah. and it's just it's just a matter of now really utilizing technology in ways that they just may not have used it before you know whether that's through zoom or slack or you know whatever Mm -hmm. you just it's just the means of communication that's changing not the communication itself right so that brings me to my next thing do you think with what's going on today that brands have more or less influence over people on social media I, i mean absolutely i think is is really the answer i mean i think that when you think about how we were really thrown into chaos initially and that brands really kind of had to pick up the slack for sort of this sort of lack of response and and leadership that we had. And the thing was that for the brands who understood that, who acknowledged the fact that we're in a different situation now, right? You're not shopping the same way. So, you know, you're not looking for the same things, or you might have a problem finding these particular products. So brands that really acknowledged that things were different and figured out a way to help their their customers um, and solve for whatever problems they had are always going to have a sort of special place in these customers' hearts. And I think that those are the ones that will continue to be important. Yeah, like Pepsi. I I mean, I I totally agree. I think that absent of leadership to hang hang on to, political leadership to hang on to, which has been the situation here in the U.S. during COVID. Yeah, I think that brands stepped up, many brands stepped up to the plate and helped, you know, from small fashion brands who were making masks, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when people couldn't find PPE to sort of to big brands who were providing funding and food and all sorts of uh, material to uh, struggling communities. I, I think that that brands have more influence on us than Decisions ever before. people make. Yeah. And do you think that's going to, so fast forward to the COVID, post-COVID world where there's a vaccine now, so I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. Do you think that influence is going to continue and how do you think it's going to change or do you think it will change? Well, I think we're in an interesting time where I think brands have learned even more how compelling they can be. So my hope is Mm -hmm. that they'll take the ball and run with it and continue to make a difference in ways large and small through their actions that they take and the stories that they tell about those actions. There'll probably be a lot more stories coming out after this. You'll be, right? I'm sure you'll be busy working on those. 
Wow, I mean, so interesting, such great stories. Okay, I have to ask you this question now, Bonnie, because I've been waiting all this time. So these have been amazing, but I want to just quickly talk about Nora Ephraim because she's an idol of mine, and I, I think everybody knows all her movies. Once Harry, Harry Met Sally, and then uh, can you just tell us quickly about your experience with her? Because I'm sure everyone else wants to know. So, so oh, thanks for asking. It was it was a while ago. I was writing screenplays and. I met Nora through an organization I belong to called New York Women in Film. And she taught me how to cook a mushroom, a single <laughs> mushroom. Really? How do you <laughs> cook a single mushroom? A single, single mushroom. She put a p- pile of butter in the pan, put one mushroom in and at a time and brown it. That would be a long cra- night of cooking. I know, crazy. And she told me she's very thin and she did, you know, didn't eat carbs. She told me she was a, you know, she was a protein girl. So that was, that was kind of fun. I, I, what I can say about working, working with her on my screenplay was that she was just incredibly generous with her support, with uh, making, helping me make connections and just just an a warm and open person. Interestingly, she she was vulnerable. She did when when uh, you know she did talk about all those screenplays that she had stuffed in a drawer um, in her beautiful apartment in New York City that we're never going to see the light of day. So you know even Nora Ephron, who we think of as being just so gifted and successful and driven and um, such a role model, I think she said she had a trunk full. Wow. A trunk full of unproduced screenplays. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So did she teach you anything else other than how to make one mushroom at a time? How to cook a mushroom. From, from oh, a she, writer's perspective? Yes. Yeah, so really, at the time, I was writing an ensemble film. So really, really helped me um, understand how to shape dynamics between different characters in a story, which isn't something that we do so much in PR unless we're we're producing videos where we have to create tension between characters. So right. um, she was incredibly helpful helping me understand how to how to make my script better oh i bet i bet that's amazing priceless and judy what about you i want to know about this new york city council's women of achievement paysetter award can you tell us about that congratulations that's something thank you thank you that actually came out of that was shortly after i had started working and as an entrepreneur out on my own and then 9 11 happened and as with everything else, everybody was trying to figure out what they can do. Were you both in Newark when 9-11 happened? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. That must yeah. So I was at the time uh, living in Forest Hills, Queens, and somebody just called me and said, you know, we have to do something. So I organized a, a vigil, a candlelight vigil in the area, and I enlisted the help of our councilwoman there. And it tur- it just started as this really tiny little thing. And it just became this enormous uh, attended event. It was just something that sort of just, wow. it just, everybody needed something. And so it just kind of like organically happened and I guess, you know, somebody planted the seed and I just went with it and just did it. It was just one of those things that I wanted to do. And after that, the councilwoman was so appreciative of, you know, of the work that that I had done to put it together and how it helped the community. And, you know, it's all part of the whole healing process and everything. Uh-huh. So she she nominated me for the for the award that year. Wow. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. 
Thank you, Bonnie and Judy. I really appreciate you being on my show today. It's been a real pleasure. If anybody wants to learn more about Company B and how to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can check out our website, companyb-ny.com or reach out to me directly, Bonnie at companyb-ny.com. And we are offering a 30-minute story booster session. So you can reach out, we can schedule a session and you'll come out with one good story idea that you can pitch in place in 2021. So um, we're excited about that. That's great. And are you on social media, both of you? We are. You can find us both on LinkedIn and on Twitter and on Facebook. What's your your (laughs) handle on Twitter? (laughs) I'm at Bonnie Rothman on Twitter. And Judy, are you on Twitter and and Social I'm, media? I, I am, I am, uh, I'm at, at J Calvin with a K, K-A-L-V-I-N and via email, it's Judy at companyb-ny.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again, ladies. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. Thank you. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe even learned a few things that will help you with your branding. And most of all, I hope you had some fun. This podcast is a work in progress. So please make sure to rate and review what you think. And please subscribe to Branding Matters on whatever platform you listen to. And feel free to share with your friends or anyone you think might also enjoy it. And if you want to learn more about the Branding Badass, that's me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. Thanks again, everyone. And until next time, I just want to say, here's to all you badasses out there. (laughs) 